0: Thank you very, very much. You know, I read a survey this week that said 10% of the population hear voices when no one else is around. Maybe voices in their head. 10% of the population, that's one out of every 10 people. I thought it was strange, so I asked my psychiatrist about it. He informed me that I don't have a psychiatrist. <laughs> I thought that was weird. But seriously, I bet if we were all honest, we would admit that at times every one of us hear voices, voices in our head, maybe voices deep in our soul, maybe even whispers that we just seem to pick up from time to time. And you know, I believe if you're a Christian, you can blame a lot of that on the Holy Spirit. See, when you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your body to guide you and direct you. In the Bible, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a counselor, helper, comforter, and encourager. So with the Holy Spirit, you're going to hear or you're going to feel things to help you or to lift you up or to encourage you at a certain moment to keep you positive. So, I mean, I think all that makes a lot of sense. But many of the voices that we hear, they aren't really positive. A lot of the things that we hear, they aren't nice things at all. Much of what we hear are critical. They can be harsh. They can be hurtful. It can be judgmental. I think a lot of stuff is probably things that we create in our own mind because we're usually our own worst critics. But you know what? A lot of times it's real voices. It's real voices that we are hearing. Maybe it's classmates maybe it's friends, family. They're saying things or they're they're posting things and we're hearing it and it has a way of, of sticking in our minds and in turn sticking us in a rut. You see, these voices we hear or we feel or we sense, however they come into our world, they impact our lives. What we hear How we hear are important because it's part of a cycle that we're going to talk about today. It's called the cycle of truth. And this cycle can either help us or keep us from being all that God created us to be and doing all that God created us to do. So to illustrate this cycle of truth, we're going to be looking at a story in the book of John Today And it's about a lady who had to deal with many, many voices. We're going to pick this story up in verse 3, where we find Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, Pharisees were just religious leaders of that day. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? So let's pause there. Can you imagine the voices that this woman was hearing? I mean, she was just caught... In a sinful act. Can you imagine what they were saying to her? Can you imagine what they were calling her? It's like you could fill their scorn. I mean, I imagine that she barely had time to cover herself up before being yanked out of bed and drugged down the narrow paths of Jerusalem. People staring. People listening. People talking. It's like the whole city became a jury and they rendered a verdict. They said, guilty. And then, as if the parade of shame wasn't enough, they took her of all places to a Bible study. Jesus in the courtyard, surrounded by people listening to him teach. And they take this woman and they throw her in the midst of him. And then here comes all the accusers. Man, they're all gathering up on one side and they got their stern faces and they're all all pointing their fingers. A lot of us in here know what that moment feels like. To have made a mistake at some point and to have everyone just magnify it and point their fingers. And you don't know where... does it say in this story that she spoke up for herself she never tried to defend herself why is that it's because the first part of the cycle of truth is what we hear influences what we think what we hear influences what we think See, when you hear something enough times, you start to believe it. I remember when I was but a young lad growing up in the tiny Randolph County town of Ridgeville. My cousin Tommy and I, man, we used to love to climb trees. I mean, that's what what young boys do. Well, once when I was probably eight, Tom was a year younger than me, we were climbing this monstrosity of a tree. I remember it was behind the marathon. It was huge, at least it seemed like it at that age. But you know, I remember that this tree had a huge branch that you could actually walk out on and it would put you just a few feet from a large branch on another tree that was right beside it. So we decided that we would walk out on that branch as far as we could go, and we was gonna spring off of it. And it would propel us to the next tree like a trapeze performer, and it would be awesome. Adults call this the hold my beer, watch this moment. So I go first, and I steady myself, and I walk out as far as I could go, displaying great courage laughing in the face of danger, being oblivious to fear. And we counted off. Three, two, one. And I shifted my weight down. I sprung myself up and out. And I grabbed the branch from the other tree and I safely pulled myself in. It was a heroic display of skill and balance. Well, now it's my cousin's turn. So he slowly somewhat wobbly, makes his way to the end of the branch. And he says, I don't think I can do it. I said, well, you can do it. I just did. It was easy. He said, but you're older than me. You're taller than me. Your arms are longer than mine. I don't think I can jump out far enough. I don't think I can reach up high enough. I don't think... I can do it. Now, a good cousin would have said, You know, you may be right. Let's not even attempt it. A year difference at this age is huge. Safety first, let's call it a day. Do you think I'm a good cousin? I said, Grandma could make the jump. Little Susie in math class did it last week, I think. Don't be a chicken. You've got this. You are capable of this. You can do it. Now, if you've ever seen the movie The Matrix, there's a scene towards the end of that movie where the main character, Neo, finally believes that he is... Who they are saying he is. And that he can do everything that they keep telling him he can do. And my cousin Tommy reached his Neo moment. And he now believed. And he shifted. And he thrust himself forward. And he raised his arms in the air. And he missed that branch by about a foot and a half. Falling ten foot down. breaking his elbow in two places. What we hear influences what we think. When we hear something enough times, we start to believe it. And you know, this lady in our story, she never defended herself. And the thing is, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. It was true. She was caught in the moment. She was caught in the passion. She was caught in an act of shame. And now she's hearing everything that they are saying to her. Everything they are telling her. Everything they are calling her. It's like she's accepted her fate. She's resigned to the fact that what they are saying is true. And if she is what they are saying that she is, then she deserves what they are saying she deserves. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. What you hear influences what you think. Some of you in here have heard voices. Some of you are hearing voices, and maybe these voices are telling you that you're not good enough. They're telling you that you're not smart enough. You're not the right size. You're not the right color. And you're hearing these things and you're starting to think that they're true. Just because you hear something doesn't make it true. Just because you see something posted doesn't make it true. You guys remember a few years back when almost every single post on Facebook was about teenagers eating Tide Pods? Remember that? You know what? I never once seen a kid eat a Tide Pod. Never once. But we were led to believe that every teenager in America were devouring them like cinnamon rolls. Because what you hear influences what you think. So back to our story. She's surrounded by her accusers. And they're all pointing their fingers. And they're reminding Jesus... What the law says. That she should be stoned to death. And they all want to know what Jesus thinks. And she's quiet. And she's listening. And she's watching. And scripture says Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Huh. Anyone ever curious about that? What was he writing? I mean, why was he writing? Was he, was he doodling? Was he stalling for time? I mean, I doubt it. Jesus is the son of God. It's like everything that Jesus did had significance, So I'm going to get deep here for just a minute. So hang with me. Put your thinking caps on. But I think that this might be the key to understanding this. You see, right before Jesus bent down and began writing in the sand, the verse before says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So the only reason they even brought this woman before Jesus was because they were trying to trap him into saying something that would give them a reason to arrest him because they did not believe that Jesus was who he said that he was. Now, check this out. Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, wrote 600 years before this in Jeremiah 17, verse 3, and this was scripture that all of these religious leaders would have known very well. He wrote, "O Lord, the hope of Israel... All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. Because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Now that's interesting. Even more interesting though, is that just the day before. I'm teaching you from the beginning of John chapter 8. Just the day before, recorded in John chapter 7. Jesus had just proclaimed himself to be that spring of living water. In John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So I can't help but think... That this is a way of Jesus saying, shame on you guys. I know you're trying to trap me because you don't believe that I am who the scriptures say that I am. All right, keep following here. Jesus was very familiar with the scriptures. Adultery is mentioned a lot in the Bible. Old and new, adultery is in the Ten Commandments. It's mentioned in all four gospels. It's mentioned in ten other books of the Bible, Now, here's some Hebrew history. When someone was caught in adultery, both the man and the woman would be brought to the temple to be accused. And if witnesses could be gathered to confirm that adultery had indeed been committed, there was a ceremony that would be done in order to bring judgment. And the ceremony consisted of a priest that was required to write the law... That had been broken along with the names of the accused. And the most common way this was done is the priest would bend down and write in the dust on the floor of the temple where it wasn't permanent. It could be wiped away. However, in this instance, they only brought the woman. They only brought the woman. So this was a violation of the oral. Law of God. So I think I think by bending down and writing in the sand at the temple, not only was Jesus making light about how they had forsaken God, but he was showing these accusers that they were not keeping the law, that they were the ones in the wrong. They were not following God's way. And it it is at this moment that Jesus stands up and he looks at all the accusers, all these religious leaders who are holding their rocks. And he says, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. That's like a mic drop moment right there. That's one of the greatest replies ever. Another translation says, Let he who is sinless cast the first stone. You see, in one sentence, Jesus brought down those who thought they were superior. And he brought up one who thought she was inferior. You see, what you hear influences what you think. But more importantly, who you hear influences what you think. You see, what Jesus said made everyone think differently. What Jesus said made everyone see things differently. That's the second part of the cycle of truth. What we think influences what we see. What we think influences what we see. Rebecca was a kindergarten teacher. And one day during her art lesson as she was walking around the class, she was observing the children while they were drawing and she stopped at little Leah's desk. Oh, Leah was working very diligently at her work. And Rebecca said, well, What are you drawing, Leah? Leah replied, I'm drawing God, teacher. Rebecca paused and said, But no one knows what God looks like. And without looking up from her work, Leah replied, They will in a minute. What we think influences what we see. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So it takes the voice of truth to start making the cycle of truth come together. You see, Jesus hit them all with a truth bomb. And then it says, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So I think now he's giving them time to think. Giving them time to process what was just said. Because it takes hearing the truth to start thinking And seeing the truth. You know what? This is where everything changed in this story. This is where everything changes in our stories. Because the way you see yourself changes everything. Verse 9 says, At this time those who heard begin to go away one at a time the older ones first. I love how that says the older ones first because for those of us whose hair's getting a little gray and thinner, we understand the older we get, the less reasons we have to be throwing stones at other people. So at this, those who heard begin to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. You know what's great about this story? It not only shows us what Jesus did for her, it shows us all what Jesus does for us. This is big. Jesus makes everyone see things differently. You see, this story, it hits us on both sides because Jesus was speaking to everyone, Jesus was making everyone think, Jesus was making everyone see things differently. I mean, what did he do for them? He made him realize they were no better than her. And you know what? The truth is, we all have a tendency to start thinking that we may be better than someone else, like those religious leaders. We start to judge other people, we start to point our fingers, we start to point out things in other people's lives. Jesus is saying, a sin is a sin. Don't judge someone because you think their sin is worse than yours. You see, Jesus made all of them see things differently. Well, what did he do for her? He stood up for her. Just like he stands up for us. He stood up high enough to enter into our world. He stood up had a cross put on his back, nails driven through his hands. He stood up, had all the sins of the world, including theirs and hers and yours and mine, placed upon him. He stood up and he died for us. And he stood up in a tomb. Death couldn't even keep Christ down. He stands up for us and he speaks up for us, just like he spoke up for that woman caught in the act of adultery. Romans 8 verse 34 says, he is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Man, what a great thought that Jesus is right now in the presence of God sticking up for us. Well, the story goes on and says Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, Where are they? Where are they? You see, he's asking you the exact same question that he asked her. Where are they? Where are your accusers? Where are these voices? Who are these voices that maybe you're listening to? These voices in your world, these voices of accusation, these voices that criticize, these voices that put you down, these voices that bring up your past, that like to remind you of failures that you've had. You see, these voices have shaped your way of thinking. These voices have shaped your way of seeing things. I mean, some of you are still bearing scars of something that was said to you a long time ago. It's like you've been defined according to a mistake that you've made. According to what someone else thinks about you. Someone else has said about you. And I don't know, maybe you heard him at home growing up. Maybe you hear it at school. Maybe you hear these things at work. Man, some people spend their whole lives trying to Recover from these voices. It's like this woman in the story. You may seem to just get yanked out of bed every morning. You're, you're, you're already feeling this tall before you even get up and start your day. You know what? Satan loves guilt. Satan loves guilt. He will remind you every single day. He will make sure it's repeated to you. Because what you hear influences what you think, and what you think influences what you see. He knows the cycle. He knows this cycle works. But it's not about what we hear, and it's not about how we hear. It's about who we hear. Well, this scripture continues on after everyone had dropped their stones and they all walked away with Jesus asking her, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. So who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Romans 8 verse 1 tells us there is no condemnation for those who who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say there's a little bit. It doesn't say, well, there's going to be some when you mess up really bad. It says none. And I want you to get this, what I'm getting ready to say. I want it to sink in your heart. I want it to stick to you. The reason you are beyond condemnation is that when you accepted Christ, You gave your heart to Christ, and he gave his heart to you. So when God sees you, guess what he sees? He sees the heart of Christ. It's powerful. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Christ did. It's because of Jesus Christ that we've been made free. It's because of his blood that our record's been wiped clean, that our hearts are clean, that we're free from accusations, that we're free from condemnations. It's called grace. Man, there is no person, there is no person whose sins are too deep. There's no person who, whose past is just too ugly, whose failures are too many. There's no person who is beyond this grace. Do you see why the gospel is called the good news? You know, this grace redefines who you are. And it changes everything. It changes your life. It changes your identity. It changes who you are. You see, nothing will be different until you think differently. Or in a positive spin, everything will be different when you think differently. What we think... Influences what we see. Well, hey, Jesus wraps all this up by telling her, go now and leave your life of sin. This leads us to the last part of the cycle of truth. What we see influences what we do. It's the third part of the cycle of truth. What you see influences what you do. See, when you see things differently, you start to do things differently. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. What we see affects what we do. Jesus is saying to her, The same thing that he's saying to us. You know, you're not that person anymore. You're not who you once was. You are no longer defined by things that you've heard. You are no longer defined by things that you've done. You don't look back. You don't look back. You're not going that way anymore. You know, if your mind is still in yesterday, you're going to move in that direction because no one goes forwards by looking backwards. You're going to wreck. You don't continue to live life through a filter of your past sins or areas that you failed in your life, but through a new lens of a new identity that Christ gave us. Jesus is telling her, you're too valuable to be some man's second choice. You deserve more than that. You are better than that. Turn away from the sinful living. Again, this message is for all of us. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus is saying, now that you can see what you are in Christ, now that you can see who you are in Christ, start living that way. Stop doing whatever you're doing that you know you shouldn't be doing. Turn from it. Man, Jesus paid way too great of a price for us to continue to just live our lives in a way that doesn't bring Him the honor and the glory that He deserves. Friends, we are more than capable of doing this. Man, this cycle of truth is a game changer. It really is, it's a game changer. This story, this story in John is a game changer. But the voice of truth in this book is the game changer. And it's only through his words that we begin to think differently, see differently, and do differently. Let's stand for closing prayer. bow our heads well dear God we God we thank you for opening our ears today to your truth God allow us to continue to seek your words and not the words and the ways of the world God we also thank you for opening our eyes to who we truly are that's who you say that we are and that's people that are chosen dearly loved forgiven holy without blame, people that are more than capable. God, allow us to strive to honor you in the way that we talk, in the way that we act, in the way that we live our lives. And if there's anyone here today or on the live stream that's never made that decision to accept Jesus and you'd like to, I invite you to repeat after me. You can say it out loud. You can say it quietly to yourself. We can all repeat it together as Pastor Chris loves to do but if you're ready to secure your salvation and accept the heart of Christ repeat after me dear God I admit that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness for the things I've done I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead to bring me new life I confess Him now as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to Him. I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life to guide me from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.